I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 12. Our current sermon series is entitled, The Truth of the Gospel, because that's exactly what was at stake. The Apostle Paul was writing these churches because they were in danger of losing the truth of the gospel. Paul himself had been to Galatia, and he himself had helped to establish these churches on the gospel of grace alone, the gospel of faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But some false teachers had crept in, and they were turning the heads of the Galatians. These false teachers were convincing them of a false gospel. They were telling the Galatians that faith alone in Christ alone was not enough. You also needed the law. You needed to keep the law of Moses for your justification, to stay justified, to be right with God. You need Jesus, and you need to obey the law. That's a false gospel. That's a bomb ready to go off and blow up these churches. And so Paul takes out his pen and he writes this letter to defuse this bomb. For three chapters, Paul has been dismantling this false gospel, disarming this heretical explosive device so it doesn't go up in their faces. If they will accept what he's saying in this letter. Paul has pulled out some of the strongest words he's ever used in his letters. Read all of his letters and you'll probably not find stronger words than the ones he uses in Galatians. And some of his strongest are still to come. He's reminded them about his personal testimony. He's reminded them about his personal authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's reminded them that his gospel came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's shown them how foolish... It is to think that you can start being justified by faith and then turn around and finish being justified by observing the law. He's shown them how the law was never meant to be the means of our justification. It was temporary and it was meant to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And he's reminded them that they are no longer slaves. They are sons of God. Heirs of God, known by God, and not because they obeyed the law, not because they were circumcised, not because they observed special days, months, seasons, and years, but because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and what he did on the wonderful cross. And now Paul is going to ask something from them. Now we've got to chapter four and he's going to ask something from the Galatians. You know, it's funny, this here is actually the first call to action in the whole letter. As you've been tracking along, he's been teaching. Now, it's been implicit all along, but now he's going to make it explicit. He says, I plead with you, brothers. That's our sermon title for today. Put it at the top of your back of your page. I plead with you. That's a sermon title. I plead with you. He's been laying out his case, peace, by piece, by piece, and now he makes it personal. And he asks them to take it all to heart and to change their minds. 
Some people think of the Apostle Paul as a cold fish. He's so incredibly smart, and he writes such complicated theology. Paul knows his Old Testament backwards and forwards, so he's he, he writes these theological treatises like Ephesians and Romans. So he's really smart. But if you think of Paul as a cold, calculating, dispassionate theological machine, you've got him all wrong. Paul is incredibly passionate. Paul cares deeply. Now, he's full of emotion. I mean, it's emotion that comes from the truth of the gospel, from the depths of his theology. But he's very emotional. He's very personal. Let me read this to you and you'll see. We're only going to look at verses 12 through 20 this morning. These are some of the most gut-wrenchingly personal words in the whole New Testament. They reveal Paul's heart. It's very much a pastor's heart. This is what a, a pastor's heart should be like. Dan, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm going to preach at you a couple times this morning. And at me. As I read Galatians again and again this week, I was encouraged and convicted by what I could see of Paul's pastoral heart for these people in spiritual danger. And he pleads with them. Let's read it. Galatians 4, 12-20. I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus Himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, and not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Would you pray with me? Lord, these are powerful words. And they reveal Paul's heart and they reveal your heart for us, what you want from us. And what you want for us. Help us, Lord, to get it. To get a glimpse of it. And to take it to heart. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel his anguish? When you're reading this? I mean, when I tried to bring it out as I was reading it to you, he ends with, I am perplexed with you, about you. Do you see how emotional Paul can be? This is no cold fish. I am perplexed about you. That's why he pleads with them. He's disturbed. He's at a loss. He almost doesn't know what to do with these folks. Verse 11, the verse right before our our passage for today, says that he was worried about them. He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I know how he feels. 
As a pastor, I often don't know what to do. How many times have I said that, sweetheart, to you in the last 19 years? I don't know what to do. I know because I'm up here preaching at you every Sunday that I seem to have, and I seem to have my thoughts together in a logical order that I can give the impression that I have all of the answers. (laughs) Often as a pastor, I don't know what to do. I care deeply about my people, but I'm often at a loss to know what to say or what to do to help people be the people they're supposed to be in Christ. Paul doesn't know what to do, but he, know, but he does what he knows to do. And that's plead with them. Verse 12. I plead with you brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Let's make that point number one this morning. Become like me. Point number one this morning. Become like me or become like Paul. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers. And this is, what he, this is the first thing he's asked all along of them. This is the action point. Become like me, for I became like you. What's that mean? In what ways does Paul want them to desperately, that he desperately wants them to become like him? Does he want them all to become apostles? Does he want them all to become bald men with a hooked nose? A lot of people say Paul was kind of ugly and he was bow-legged. I don't know where they get that. but Is that what he wants them to do? Does he want them to be, all become single like he was? A traveling church planter? Is that what he's saying? I want you all to become like me. No. He's saying he wants them to be like him in what this letter's been about. In trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their justification and not adding law-keeping to the gospel. Right? That's what, he's, that's what he's been driving at all along. He wants them to be free of the law. He wants them to throw off the slavery he was talking about in the previous section and to embrace their new identity as sons in the Son, heirs of the promise, as known by God. That's how he is. And that's what he wants for them. I plead with you, brothers, become like me. For I became like you. Isn't it interesting and ironic that a Jew like Paul would be trying so hard to convince these Gentiles that they didn't need to observe the law of Moses? How strange. I became like you, he says. You Gentiles. I didn't show up preaching the law. I came preaching Jesus. I became like you. Which, by the way, is a very wise thing for a pastor to do. If a pastor wants his flock to become like him spiritually, he needs to become like them in as many ways as he can. So now Paul is going to appeal to their prior relationship. He's going to base his pleading on their shared history. And he's going to get very personal. Do you hear how personal he is? He starts by saying that things between them used to be very different than they are today. End of verse 12. You have done me no wrong. Back then, you were great. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. 
So things used to be different between this church and their apostle. When he first showed up on the scene, he was a wreck. Apparently, the reason Paul first met them in the first place was because of literally a weakness of the flesh, which was probably a bodily ailment, like like a disease, like an illness of some kind. It's possible that he came beaten and bloodied by the persecution that followed him everywhere he went. He was with the Galatians after the, during his first missionary journey. He'd been stoned on that journey. Perhaps that's what this is talking about. But it's maybe a little bit more likely that he got something like malaria and was laid up and had to get nursed back to health among these Galatians. We don't know exactly because Luke doesn't tell us this story in the book of Acts. Whatever it was, maybe it included an eye problem. Paul seems to have trouble with his eyes at various points in the New Testament. Maybe it was the same problem as his thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know. Whatever it was, he wasn't a pretty sight. His illness was, verse 14, a trial to them. You think he was like a poor, like a, a poor baby uh, as a sick guy? I don't know about you guys, but when I'm sick, you know, my wife is like, go close that door and, you know, get better, right? Because I'm all like, oh, I feel sick. Please take care of me, right? My guess is that whatever Paul was dealing with was really bad. And it was a trial not just to him, but a trial to them. And he says that didn't stop them from loving him. Verse 14, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. In the ancient world, often if you were sick, everybody said, well, you must have done something wrong to deserve that. And so they looked down on you. This word contempt or scorn could literally be spitting. Like, ooh, gross, keep the sick guy away from us. But that's not how they treated him. They didn't turn up their noses at him or spit on him as the accursed by God. It says, instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Friends, that's the royal treatment. They heard Paul's gospel from from Paul's lips, and they received Paul as the messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus said, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. But something's changed now. Now something's gone wrong. The relationship has gone, uh, uh, uh. Verse 15, what has happened to your joy? Or what happened to the satisfaction? Or what what happened to the blessing you felt in relation to me? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Maybe he had an eye problem. He said, if I could fix it, I'd give you mine. Where'd that go? Paul says, I didn't change. I feel the same way about you. My gospel hasn't changed. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I was telling you the truth before, and you loved it, and you loved me. I'm still telling you the truth, but now you don't seem to love me. You must not love the truth. By the way, this is another thing that a faithful pastor will do. He will continue to give people the truth even when they don't want to hear it. 
I'll be honest, that's one of the parts of pastoring that I struggle with the most. I like to be liked, and I don't like to be disliked. So I'm tempted to trim the truth to get the likes. I need to be committed to giving people the truth even when they don't want to hear it. Because that's true love. And the same is true for a church with its pastor. Church, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear in love. Paul says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I'm pleading with you, become like me. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, not in anything else, including your good works. I plead with you. Number two, beware of flatterers. If you're taking notes, that's point number two. Beware of flatterers. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Paul has been giving them trustworthy wounds. Yeah, it hurts. But it's what they needed. But these other people that have come into the churches in Galatia, they have been multiplying the kisses. Look at verse 17. Those people, these false teachers, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. These guys have been doing the full-on sales job with the Galatians. Right? Roll out the red carpet, coffee. Do you need something, sir? Here, let me get you that. Oh, yes, I feel exactly the same way. They've got the full court press on flattery. They have fawned over and fussed over the Galatians. They've played up to them and promised them the moon. That's what false teachers do. They make you feel good about yourself. Oh, what a wise choice. Yes, a good selection, sir. Yes, oh, you are so smart. They promise you all kinds of things that they don't plan to deliver on. Friends, that's what the prosperity gospel does. People who teach that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this life, just follow these three easy steps. Just send your check to this address. They never say anything you don't want to hear. They never say anything difficult or hard to accept. And they make you feel good about yourself. And what would feel better than to know that you had a hand in your own justification? Because you had obediently kept the law and secured all of its blessings. And they play up to you like that to turn you away from the truth of the gospel. And to turn you away from the true church. And to turn you away even from the one who brought you the gospel in the first place. And to turn you to themselves. Paul says, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. Now, is this just like forming cliques and, no, no, I want you to be on my side. No, I don't want you to be on their side. No. Paul wouldn't care a bit if they found other true teachers teaching from the true gospel. And maybe he faded away in their memories. This is not personal in that way. 
But these folks are trying to get a following for themselves. Watch out for spiritual leaders like that. Watch out. Beware of flatterers. They want something. Often what they want is your money. They want control of your lives. They want to use you. That's how cults get started and how they thrive. Now, Paul says it's not bad to be zealous for somebody. It's not wrong to roll out the red carpet. But there is a right way and a wrong way to go about it. Verse 18. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. Provided it's about the truth of the gospel. And to be so, zealous, always. And not just when I'm with you. These false teachers were one way when they were with Galatians and another way when they were not. Paul felt and acted the same towards them whether he was there or whether he was far away. That's another mark of a good pastor, of a good Christian leader. Do we care about our people in the same way when we are not with them as when we are? Beware of flatterers. Can you think of someone that has tried to win you over to them at the expense of what you know to be true? Watch out for people like that. And if I ever start acting like that, give me the boot. Paul is hurting. Paul is in so much pain because of the spiritual danger he sees looming over these Christians whom he loves so much. Look look at how he pleads with them in verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Friends, those are shocking words. Paul is a guy, okay? And what did he just say? He just said that he feels like he's in labor. He's trying to figure out how he can describe how much anguish and agony he's feeling for these Galatians. And he's seen a woman giving birth. He says, that's how I feel. But I feel like I'm having to do it, not just the first time, but all over again. Ladies, can you imagine giving birth to the same child a second time? I thought we did this already. Brings new meaning to the phrase Labor Day, right? There's my Labor Day joke for you this weekend. He's saying again? All that again? I thought I taught you the truth of the gospel the first time. Well, I'll just keep going until I know you've got it. Until Christ is formed in you. That's point number three. Be full of Christ. Be full of Christ. Paul says, that's what I'm suffering for. I'm doing all of this to know that Christ is formed in you. That's another shocking phrase because it's kind of like, like they, like it's embryology, like, like, like Christ is being formed in them. He's saying that you have trusted in Christ and are trusting in Christ so that Christ is transforming you into His own image. I plead with you. Be full of Christ. Be full of Christ-likeness. That's the whole point. 
By the way, that's what should be the goal of every pastor and every Christian leader. That should be the goal of all of our labors, all of our suffering, all of our work. Not that people should be formed in our image, though we want them to become as we are, but that Christ should be formed in them. I'm going to pray for everything you put on this this week, but that's what I'm going to be praying for you on my prayer retreat, that Christ would be formed in you. That's my deepest prayer request for you. Paul wishes that he could stop the letter right here and just look them in the eyes and see if it's made any difference. He wishes that he didn't have to keep on going with all these strong words. He's probably afraid that they'll take it the wrong way. Verse 20. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. But I can't be with you right now, so I'm pleading with you. Because I care. I'm like your mom. I gave you birth, and I just want what's best for you. And that's Jesus. That's what this table is all about. It's all about Jesus. And being full of Jesus. And Jesus being formed in us. Friends, this is not a very flattering table. Don't come to this table to feel good about yourself. This table says that you are a sinner. You have not kept God's law and secured all these blessings to come to you. You have broken God's law. And the punishment is death. This table is not here to make you feel good about yourself. But this table also says that someone has come and taken your punishment for you. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. And this table says that all we have to do is place our faith and trust in Him alone and you'll be justified. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you do that, then you'll become like Paul. And you will be full of Christ in time. Christ will be formed in you. Friends, that's the Gospel. And it never disappoints. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for your justification, you are invited to eat and drink this memorial meal with us. If you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for your justification, then please don't eat and drink with us. I plead with you. I plead with you to repent and place your faith in Jesus. He is so wonderful, so sufficient, so glorious and merciful and sweet. I'm zealous for everyone here to know and trust Him and for Him to be formed in each one of us.